She's very feminine, very, very capable. She sews, she cooks well. She didn't know how to cook too well. And I, I said, Lord, give me a wife who can cook Italian like Mama. And then she learned it. She can make the gravy. She can make the gravy. We went to Italy. She learned all the recipes. She cooked better than my mother. So, but uh, we're, we're a little simpler now, now without the kids, but she likes everything from scratch. No, nothing, not, not this store-bought gravy. She has to make it like my mama, you know, with the, cook the garlic in. Yeah. So she, she's very precise and she, she makes masterpieces. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint here on the Bot Radio Network. I'm Byron Tyler, and thank you, friend, for stopping by. Last time, we got together with a friend that I met back in 2018 when I first traveled to Israel. Pastor Al Nutroni is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem Baptist. Well, I put it all backwards, didn't I, Al? <laughs> no, it's, okay. it's, it's, not, the, it's both Jerusalem Baptist and the first one. Yeah, yeah. the first and only one right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the Jerusalem Baptist Church where he pastors and You've been, has it been 40 years? 43 years overseas. Overseas. 15 years in Israel. Originally from New Jersey. Right. What do you miss about life in New Jersey? Jersey Shores? Well, Jersey Shore, <laughs> I used to hang out there. It was a fun memory, you know, going down with, with the family, but it's, uh, it gets a little wild there sometimes, you yeah. know, the Jersey Shore. What were your family life like growing up in Jersey? I don't think I've asked you that question. Uh, well, Italian family, you know, we were close to all our cousins and aunts and uncles and my Italian grandfather lived with us, so uh, you live um, conservative Philly. We were conservative. Uh, my mother was Catholic. My father was non-church-going Presbyterian. But the important thing is to have a good mother who cooks good Italian food, so we were blessed with this good Italian food. She made good gravy. Good gravy. <laughs> Don't call it sauce. It's no, gravy. It's gravy. It's I gravy. Learned, I know. I learned that. You and, know. <laughs> and then she got up six in the morning to make the gravy yeah. <laughs> for the evening. So breakfast was like a simple thing. Just get some cereal. And uh, she would give us money for the cafeteria at school. And then we had the big meal at night. So mama and with grandpa to spaghetti, meatballs, all that good stuff, you know. Oh, I love good Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a favorite Italian restaurant in Israel you like to go to? Well, you know, I like Mundo Pizzeria. It's in Bethlehem, actually. Mundo, it's uh, Spanish for world, right? Yeah. Italian is Mundo. But I think the owner, uh, he's Palestinian, but he spent time in Honduras, so he used the Spanish word. But they make a great pizza. I don't necessarily like to go out, have pasta, in time, I like pizza. You like pizza? Yeah, or I like lasagna, or I yeah. like eggplant parmesan, eggplant, you know. Now, I remember eating pizza in Jerusalem through the Hoppergate to like the left or second yeah, alley. I, there I, was yeah. Jacob's Pizza. Jacob's Pizza, yeah. That's I famous. I don't think Jacob's is there now. Is he still open? It is open. It's I still think. open? Yeah, open. And is Jacob still running the pizza? I think so, yeah. They have another place called Chili's, which is uh, Chili's Pizza, which is non-kosher. That means they add some pepperoni. I really enjoyed going to Jacob's Pizza when Mm -hmm. we were there in Israel. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, as we were talking last time about ministry, where you have been since 2007 as pastor there at Jerusalem Baptist Church, Al, one of the ministries I understand that your church engages with is ministering to prostitutes in Tel Aviv. Right. How did that get initiated? Well, I started to go with this Jewish believer around 2009. He had an outreach, brought some people from Jerusalem every Friday night in a van, and we gave out Bibles and witnessed to people. It's kind of a slummy area of Tel Aviv, prostitutes, drug addicts, immigrants, you know. So it was nice because they were needy people. Uh, They didn't give us much trouble. The religious do, but not them. The religious are in synagogue. 
during yeah. that time, Friday night. And so that's how it kind of started there. So, and then we, um, my friend passed on, but I started to take some people around every other week. I have a team around seven or eight come every week and we set up shop and give out Bibles, witness to people. I get a little microphone, I can preach a little bit. You're able to uh, do that in, in Tel Aviv? Yeah, they don't bother you. The religious are in synagogue, but they, yeah. they don't bother us. And I got permission from the police. so, And I, I play some music, I like a DJ. Yeah. Sit down, I got my phone here, put some gospel music on, I got the Bluetooth uh, speaker. Only a small one. You know, blasting, and you know, oh, this song's about G-. you know, I can, I can, I can be a DJ and share the gospel and listen to some good music. See, some people wouldn't think you could do that in Israel that yeah. openly. Yeah, well, this is probably the only place you can do it. <laughs> and the time Friday night, and a lot of people, Chinese. I mean, the Chinese, it's amazing how many Chinese people are there. They are there as workers, construction workers, to build the Chinese and Turks. So they're all Friday nights, they're night off and they party. So we had to give out a lot of Chinese Bibles as well. How are these women responding to the gospel and responding to the Bibles and just the ministry you're doing? Well, there, there is openness. Now, among the, when you said the women, right? I'm talking about the prostitutes. The prostitutes, yes. yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, well, I have a friend who did a ministry among prostitutes. I used to go out with some Southern Baptist people, have feeding them. So that, that was pretty, uh, I think many were one to the Lord through that. The problem is with the prostitutes, they're not only prostitutes, but they're drug addicts too. So, yeah. you know, when you're high on drugs, it's kind of hard to communicate to these people. You know, but hopefully uh, they sober up and there are programs like, I think there is uh, up north, like Nikki Cruz program. What was that? Uh, the big, the drug uh, rehabilitation. Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge. Right. Yeah. They had Teen Challenge there. Okay. And other rehabilitation places. But that's a special calling in my opinion, but we can refer people to them. In Israel, there's always new discoveries. The history there is so rich. When we were there in 2018, we got to go to what was part of the Pole of Siloam. But I understand that new excavation has been taking place. And it looks like, because I knew that there was really a just a, a sliver of land that was part of the Pole of Siloam that they had excavated. And there was a fence dividing this property where the owner had this 100-year agreement on the land. And he was not going to open it up for any more excavation. But I guess something must have changed because now that site is being excavated. Yeah, they have both sides. And I think they, I don't know what they did, came to some kind of agreement, money agreement, whatever. So now they're um, right from the Pool of Shalom. This is the city of David. They've done a lot there, just on that side. And then the other side too, I think they built a tunnel. You go right in through there, the excavations. Then you can go um, under the wall, like this is the... Dungate goes to the Welling Wall, then you into the David Center and the Southern Steps. So it's kind of connected. I took that tunnel. Yeah, the, you know the Hezekiah's tunnel. tunnel? No, no. Well, it's Hezekiah's, well, Hezekiah's tunnel. tunnel is different. That's different. But this tunnel that takes you. Yeah, this is a different tunnel. This was the tunnel that led to Herod's palace, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what I remember. Right. Right. And I remember taking that tunnel, and you got places you got to really, you know, yeah, yeah. bow down and <laughs> to kind of crawl in, not crawl really, but just kind of stoop yeah, down yeah, a little right. bit to get there. Yeah. So but I've watched some videos recently. It looks like some new excavation has been taking right. place. Yeah, and uh, there's something new every day. Yeah. yeah in fact, uh, I've taken people on a tunnel tour, which is near the wall. The, you know, well, the, the tunnel tour. Is that the rabbinical tour. tunnel? Yeah, the rabbinical tunnel. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and you get near the Holy of Holies and et cetera. So that's interesting. And then the one near the city of David, once, one or two times, 
not that everyone goes there all the time, but it's it's quite interesting to see the new things. You know? Yes. Al, you have studied the Bible all your life. You have attended seminary, as we mentioned last time, at Dallas Theological Seminary, and have an understanding of the gospel. But when you go to a land and live in a land where all this originated, how has that deepened? How, how has your faith grown through that experience? Well, being in the Holy Land, of course, it gives you a clearer picture of Scripture. You see in color, not in black and white. Um, you see the places where Jesus walked where he was, and that makes it very real to you. Now, a lot of it's covered up by churches and things like that. I understand that. Probably they have to build churches to preserve the site because they had just the site. People would ruin it, so they put something over it. At least you see it. So, you know, you go up to Galilee. It's tremendous because it's so pure and virgin up there. Uh, you know, remember the Sea of Galilee? Yes. In fact, it's... Uh, probably more beautiful now than it was then because at the time of Jesus, they had fishing boats. Now we just have tourist boats and the fish come from tanks, you know, so, uh, but it's very pristine, as you know, very beautiful beautiful and quiet and everything else. And you can imagine Jesus teaching by the seaside, right? Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. So you picture that in your mind, you see and you picture it. Then you see the Sea of Galilee where he took the disciples on a boat in fact, I've been many times on that. Did you take a boat ride there? Yeah, twice, yeah. Yeah, twice. Two so occasions, yeah. Was it rough? Or? Uh, it wasn't too bad. One was an evening time, and yeah. one was a day-afternoon time. Okay, so we, we, had took, we took an evening one time. It was pretty rough. Yeah. And you can imagine, you know. The, we actually, we saw uh, windsurfers out there uh, okay. riding the waves, you know, right. in the middle of the yeah, Sea yeah, of Galilee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were on a rough one, and you can imagine, you know, the disciples. And I think it was a spot where the wind came from— the west came through this funnel, the Mount Arabel, and then intensified, and that's what caused that big storm. Jesus was sleeping, and uh, Jesus had to teach a lesson on faith. You know, trust me, don't worry about it. You know, out of all of the the landmarks, the archaeological finds, is there one particular thing that stands out to you that you enjoy most? And it's been I enjoy because I enjoy Capernaum, the uh, city of Jesus where you see the actual remains or bottom part of the synagogue where Jesus preached. I stood there, yeah. And then uh, the house of Peter's mother there. And then I like, um, nobody goes here. If I don't think he went there. We go to Samaria and we see Jacob's well. You, I didn't go there. No. I didn't go there. It's kind of forbidden. But um, it's in a church that this priest designed and painted. You go in and it's actually Jacob's well. You send the bucket down, you get water. I drink from the water before every bomb, the first one to drink. But I brought a lady there once, and she didn't know where she was. I said, this is Jacob's well where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. Remember, she was all immoral lady? And she began to cry. And she said, I was like that lady. That's a very significant story. And here is the actual well that Jesus met this woman. And right near there, there is Mount Gerizim, this is the greatest panorama, the greatest viewpoint, I believe, even more than Mount of Olives, so looking over the Temple Mount. That's thrilling, right? Yeah, because you did a Bible study with us there. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did yeah. that there. But this place here, it's in the Samaritan village where the woman came from, from Sychar. And you go on this point top, you're on Mount Gerizim. You're looking at Mount Abel. Now that reminds you of Moses giving in blessings and cursings. It was also the same spot you're looking where Abraham received the promise of the land. I will give you this land. Same spot he's looking. Same spot 
Gerizim Abel, at same spot, you look in the valley where Joshua was, Joshua chapter 24, where he had the valley of decision. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the God of Baal? As far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right there, and you see the stone of remembrance. You're sitting one spot, and you see all those things. <laughs> well, it's from a distance, yes. but you see the valley, and you see the ruins where the stone of remembrance was. Wow. You know, that he placed there. I mean, all one to me, that's the greatest spot in all of Israel. Well, I'll tell you, Al, next time I come back yeah. to Israel, you're going to take me there, okay? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to go there. So that brings, you know, it, it makes it alive there. Yes. So I always enjoy bringing people there. And there are other places. Oh, uh, Caiaphas's house, yeah, where Jesus was whipped and put in isolation. That is oh, very touching. Oh, my goodness. It is so touching. Matter of fact, we were at the tour group. Mm-hmm. My assignment was to take video and pictures. Mm-hmm. But when we started talking about that in that particular area, I kind of moved away from the group and just wept. Oh, it's such a power. They had the whipping quarters where yes. he held his hand and whipped him and then isolation. Oh, my. Okay, let's talk about Billy. She's your wife, and she's patiently waiting, reading a book, according to you. Yes, in, she in likes our, to read. In our parking likes, lot. While she we likes were... to read the shop and, and to <laughs> pray, and she's multi-talented. How long have you two been married? We've been married 40... Um, four <laughs> years? 44 years. At least 40 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> What do you appreciate most about Billy and the way she's followed the Lord's call on your lives to serve him? You know, I was always impressed with Billy, even before we got married and before we were engaged. The first time I met her, we were on a summer team together in Rome, Italy, outdoor summer team. I played the mandolin, she played the ukulele. So we were preaching Jesus outside in the streets of Rome, music and preaching. And she said to me right when I met her, I want to be a missionary. And she wasn't asking me, like, I'm going to be a missionary. Do you want to help me or come along? No. But she wanted to make it clear. And then uh, I began to like her. I told my leader, I said, I like this girl. I don't know what I'm to do. And the leader said, this is a summer of ministry, not romance. (laughs) Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be. So So I left it at that. And then on the way, it's funny. So we had it working relationship yes, together we, we ministered so she impressed me she wanted to be a missionary she was talented she was a very southern girl very feminine extremely feminine and then uh, we were praying uh, we were on the plane back to the states and we were with each other and we shared prayer requests and this is the funniest thing I said, what can I pray for you for? And she said, pray for a husband for me <laughs> and I said, well you can pray for a wife for me so I never imagined it's her and me, but long story short, three years later, the Lord brought us back together, and we found out we were the ones for each other. And you've been making beautiful music ever <laughs> <Yeah>, since. <laughs> beautiful music. We got you know three kids and seven grandkids, and she's very feminine, very very capable. She sews, she cooks well. She didn't know how to cook too well, and I, I said, Lord, give me a wife who can cook Italian like Mama, and then <laughs> she learned it. She could make the gravy. She could make the gravy. We went to Italy. She learned all the recipes. She cooked better than my mother. So, but uh, we're, we're a little simpler now, now without the kids. But she likes everything from scratch. No, nothing, not, not this store bought gravy. She has to make it like my mama. You know, scrap with the cook the garlic in. Yeah. So she, she's very precise, and she she makes masterpieces. Oh, I bet. Yeah, she <laughs> makes her own ice cream. Oh my. Yeah, <laughs> she's great lasagna. Great she's, she's a keeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Living in a country that's consistently covered in world news and where other nations desire its ruin, how does that play with your thinking when you're living there? It gets a lot of attention, right? Oh, yeah. There's uh, tension. We see it every day. 
hear about it. Now, we don't live in a section that uh, has a lot of uh, terrorist activity that's more towards the city, old city. Well, in 2022, Mark, the most conflict-related deaths for both Israelis and Palestinians since 2015, and violence has continued to escalate in 2023 with the West Bank on track for its deadliest year since 2005. How have you managed to keep your focus while surrounded? You're not that close to it, but it's still in the area. It's still in the area, and we hear about it because we also experience the bombs from Gaza, missiles. I must say it's safer there than it is here. I felt safer when I was there. Yeah, yeah, safer than New York City and Chicago. So it's nothing to worry about. Even we have groups stay in Bethlehem. It's a very safe city, safer than Jerusalem. You know, listen, uh, I feel safe there. Never had a problem. You know, the driving's kind of crazy, so you have to be careful. Um, they drive fast. <laughs> yeah, drive fast. I, I have an electric bike, so I have to be really careful because, you know, at my age, when you fall, it takes a long time to recover. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I feel I need to ride that bike because it gives me exercise and so go around the city and pray for, you know, electric bike, you know, it's fun. Yes. And you have stopping points, they have bike paths. You stop and pray for the, Jerusalem. In the old days, they used to walk around the prophets. Now I can just ride my bike and <laughs> stop and pray. And not that I'm preaching, but I no. you could talk to people about the Lord. You yeah, know. you know we talked last week about you know the book you wrote. I just want to refer back to it: Holy Land Encounter: History, Devotion, Prophecy that you wrote. One of the things you said this book is to help prepare you to travel to Israel, and, and we mentioned about spiritually prepared. Mm-hmm. Something too, I wondered a lot of. Church groups and tourist groups from U.S. go to Israel, of course, to experience the Holy Land. It's a life like a bucket list trip to go on. But about sharing your faith, I mean, I think some people might feel intimidated or can I share my faith in Israel if I go visit there? You address that. Yeah, I must say, when I have a tour, and I organize tours too, we make it both educational, learn, we make it devotional, we worship, but we make it evangelistic. So we're always trying to be a witness, and I always have evangelists with me. In fact, I was with a group in March, we had 35, some Polish people. One lady, a Chicago Pole, Polish person, was a great evangelist, and everywhere she went, she witnessed. She witnessed to the high priest in the Samaritan village, you know. We're not afraid, and now that's a, on a tour. Normally, as the Lord opens up opportunity, I don't really force it on people, but I get a lot of opportunity. And yeah. um, I can always be talking about Jesus even when I'm going through checkpoint in a shopping mall, you know, do you have a gun? I said, no, but I have the word of God and talks about my Messiah. So I, I can turn the situation around and talk about Jesus, you know? Yeah. How would you typically engage someone? You go to a coffee shop or you encounter someone you start a conversation with. What would be kind of the initial way you do that? Well, you know, you obviously you have the preliminaries, you get to know everybody. And then I, I can bring in, well, they're going to ask you, Jews are curious, what do you do? Okay, so I said, oh, I'm a pastor. What does that do? Well, we, we believe in the Bible, Jesus, and he died for our sins. And you know something? Jesus is Jewish, yeah. like you. Yeah. And uh, we thank you that you gave us the Bible, you gave us our Messiah. So it's, it starts that way. You, know? yeah. you give a testimony. You have to give. Yes. I was interviewed many times um, by our friend Sybil, who is a journalist, and on Israeli television. How, how did you find this? What, what was the story? So they always ask about it. And I said, well, I found Jesus, but he really found me. You know, and it's like I was at a point of need, depression, and then I, I needed help, and uh, I, I found Jesus. You know, I heard the good news about Jesus, yep. and I accepted him. Isaiah 53 is a chapter that doesn't get talked about among the Jewish people. Yeah, they don't read it in synagogues because it's too clear. 
Can I give you a little story? I want you to, yeah. There was um, a, a Jewish family, young Jewish family. They came to the Lord in Israel, and of course their parents weren't saved yet, but they had the father over and mother for a meal. This was the grandparents, whatever. And the grandfather said, I'll come, but don't talk about Jesus, okay? I mean, they knew that their son was into Jesus, okay? Don't talk about Jesus. We'll come over to the Passover, but don't talk about Jesus. Okay, Dad. So they had the Passover meal. They read the Seder, all the Haggadah. And then the young guy said, Dad, I'd like to just read a scripture portion from our Old Testament, you know, the Tanakh. So he reads Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has put on him the iniquity of us all. For by his stripes we are healed. And you know what the father said? I told you, don't talk about Jesus. I said, Dad, this is the Tanakh. This is the Old Testament. You see, it's so clear. But the rabbis prevent anybody from reading Isaiah 53. And the Word of God points to that ultimate sacrifice that was made for the sins of the world, Al. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, this was fulfilled in Israel. I mean, this was from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. That was God's plan from the beginning. Absolutely. We see this fulfilled when Jesus took on flesh, stepped into the earth through his unique birth through the Virgin Mary. This is real, Al, the gospel. It's about the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's God's plan. Let's close out by talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel. Well, the greatest thing the Jewish people need is the gospel. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? And what is the gospel? You know, I heard the gospel many times from people. Then it came to a head when I went to a Billy Graham crusade, and Billy Graham preaches the gospel. You know, the man is a sinner before a holy and a righteous God. You have to recognize that holiness. Like Isaiah, the prophet, he saw God in his holiness. He saw God in his sovereignty. He said, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Okay? Then God touched him. The burning coal was the atonement. And that's the grace of God that touches our lives. And we see the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah was forgiven. And then from that point on, then God said, who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. So it was like that salvation, I'm a sinner, thank you for dying for my sins. Who will go for it? Here I am. We're, in a sense, saved for a purpose, not just to go to heaven, but the Apostle Paul, God had a plan for him to save him, not just go to heaven, but to be an apostle to the Jew and the Gentile. Yes. Apostle meaning sent one, apostello, to send out with the good news, both to Jew and to Gentile. Yes, and as he is reconciling the world us to him through the cross, through the gospel, and then he uses us right. to be reconcilers. Absolutely. Wow, that's so and beautiful. And he loves the Jew and the Gentile. He does. Arab. You have a minute? Yes. Okay, this is a story I shared. I've been sharing around the country because God does love the Jew and the Arab. When I was in Italy, I had a Jewish friend, Adriana, in our Bible study. She was in the hospital. And at the time, I had Dr. Louis Hamada. He's a Lebanese evangelist. I think he's, he's taught here in Tennessee somewhere. He went to Dallas with us. And then he was also visiting. So I said, well, let's go see Adriana. You can pray for her. So here's Adriana, Jewish lady in the hospital, my Arab friend praying for her. And then Adriana says, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for the prayer. 
down the hall, there are two Arabs, Palestinians, and go talk to them. Now, these were two Palestinian terrorists. So I told Lewis, and I said, let's go. He said, wait, they're terrorists. I said, Lewis, they're people for whom Christ died, so let's go. Why not give it a try? So we went there. There's armed guard there. We go in. There's the picture of Yasser Arafat in the room, these two terrorists there. So he starts to speak to them in Arabic. They begin to cry. They reached out to us. They hugged us. They wouldn't let us go. And then Lewis shared the gospel, and they both accepted Jesus, both <laughs> terrorists. <laughs> and then when we left, they didn't want us to leave. They kept hugging us and stayed. Don't go away. Hugging all of us, and finally we left. And I tell you, that was revival. I was in tears. I mean, that was an amazing. I realized God loves the Arabs, too, even if they're terrorists. Well, Pastor Al, our time on program two is gone. <laughs> we could continue on, I know, but we can't leave Billy in the car. Yeah. <laughs> you can't keep reading, you know. Yeah, Lord. But let's uh, also mention to our friends, Holy Land Encounter, History, Devotion, Prophecy by Dr. Al Nutroni. And this book is available at lulu.com. Lulu.com. Get yeah. a copy of the book. Yeah. Please, friend, go to the website and get that Lulu. other books, too. Listen. Your other books? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're all there. But not Amazon. Lulu.com. Lulu.com. Yeah. Okay, Lulu.com. Go there, friend, and get Pastor Al's books, especially this latest one, Holy Land Encounter. Give that email address, the old AOL, if you want yeah, to. Yeah, the AOL, Nutriro, that's part of my last thing, N-U-C-C-I-A-R-O, at AOL.com. God bless you, Al. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shalom. Shalom, (laughs) y'all. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by here on the Bot Radio Network. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.